Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Think of the millions of hours we spend thinking and talking about technology, about the future, about what it all means, and how it impacts us. But before any of this happens, before robots or AI or self-driving cars or even making a phone call, someone has to sit down at a screen and create the code to make it possible. A process that's not just about abstraction, but about both art and craft, that like Chomsky said of language itself, it etches a groove through which thought flows. It has been said that when we study human language, we're approaching what some might call the human essence. When we study code and those that create it, we are arguably getting to the singularity of man and machine. We're going to talk about that today with my guest, Clive Thompson. He's a longtime contributing writer for the New York Times Magazine, a columnist for Wired, the author of the previous book, Smarter Than You Think. And it is my pleasure to welcome Clive Thompson back to this program to talk about his newest work, Coders, The Making of a New Tribe and the Remaking of the World. Clive Thompson, thanks so much for joining us. I'm glad to be here. It's great to have you here. Is it fair to think about coding almost in the same way we think about language to sort of put this linguistic spin on it? Absolutely true. I mean, coding, when people sometimes ask me, so what is code? And I'm like, well, it's just a bunch of words that coders write down commands that they issue to computers to try and get them to do something, right? And so if you look at, you know, the code they've written, you know, you can sort of almost read parts of it, right? Because co coding languages these days include little bits of English, you know, right. if this, then do that, right? And I think there's two things that happen when you do a lot of coding that, that fit exactly with the quote from Chomsky that you talked about. You know, one is that by speaking these words to the machine, you know, they are creating the grooves that that, that that machine will now move in. You know, it will do exactly what that code has been told to do. But the, but the act of coding also, I think, and this is what a lot of coders told me over the long run, really starts to get into your own mind. You know, it, it can it can start to sort of wear its own grooves into the mind of the coder themselves. They they find themselves. Uh, you know, a little more machine-minded after years of doing it. They, they, they take that problem-solving linearity and binary nature that you need to bring to the machine, and they bring it to their, to their own personal lives, right? You know, some of them said, you know, it can, it can make me sometimes, I think, a, a, a difficult person sometimes to be around. Um, one of them uh, this very funny, witty uh, coder, Scott Hanselman, talked about how he would he works upstairs. Uh, you know, he lives at home. He, he works at home, and he will spend you know ten hours deep in the code, issuing these very logical commands to the machine, and then he'll put the work away and go downstairs, and his partner is cooking dinner, and he'll sort of. He'll, he'll start, you know, critiquing the efficiency and the methodology of how she's cooking the beans and rice uh, because he sort of can't turn off the grooves that have been worn in his mind by, you know, issuing commands to the machine. He's, he's constantly looking for how to break things down and do them more efficiently and, and get things to happen more speedily. And he, he jokes like, I've moved into code review of dinner, basically. So he almost has to sort of spend half an hour turning that off because the act of coding can start to wear those grooves into your mind. The, the other side of that, though, as, as you talk about, particularly in some of these profiles that, that you have in coders, is that while it is iterative on the one hand, there's almost an art form to it on the other. 
without question. I mean, there is something deeply creative and joyful about coding. Um, everyone I talked to um, got into it because they had what, what everyone calls the hello world moment. The moment when you, you issue your first simple command to the machine, you know, which tells it to say hello world back to you. And the machine does it. And it, it has this feeling of bringing something into existence, the, the artistic creation ex nihilo, right? You know, something that wasn't there is now there. And that joy never goes away. And, and coders will spend their entire lives constantly chasing that creation. They also have, I think, um, in many ways, an artistic temperament in that um, you talk to a novelist, you talk to a painter, and what they crave is like a deep immersion in the craft, like 12, 18, 24 hours of nonstop work because they're doing something that is very, very mentally taxing and complicated, and they don't want to dip in and out of it. They can't dip in and out of it. They have to get in there and immerse themselves and get to that state of flow, and coders are exactly like that. They are doing a mentally taxing form of work that uh, requires and is rewarded by these, these deep, romantic, uh, um, you know, uh, out in the rocky promontory, uh, isolated work. Um, so I, I found with the more I talked to them, it was exactly like they would describe their mental states. They would describe the act of create, creating code. And it sounded exactly like I'm talking to a novelist who has just come out of 12 straight hours of composing a world in their novel. How do we misunderstand technology as a society by not really understanding what you've been talking about, by not really getting inside the talent that goes into coding? Because it seems to me that understanding that gives us a much better understanding of the technology that it produces. Um, yeah, I think that there's, there's a couple problems uh, that we as a society have when we don't really understand how code works and how coders work. One of them is that, um, you know, it, we're, we're more liable to sort of believe, I think, the kind of um, gauzy, you know, sort of promises and, and hyperbole of places, uh, companies that come out of Silicon Valley, because they, they sort of wave away the fact that humans made all these decisions, that humans made, you know, every line of code and made every, um, every aspect of the software was, was a decision. They, they make it feel like more like this is something that just came into being through magic. And that lets them get away with, I think, let's let these companies get away with not taking to account the effects of the software on society. Code is nothing more than a bunch of decisions made by people. And so if for some reason we don't like the way the software works, you know, we should really be taking to account the people um, that created it, particularly the people at the top of the food chain that, uh, that hired these people and told them what to do. So I think actually demystifying it is part of how we, we gain a civic purchase into um, talking about what we like and what we don't like about the way code is changing our lives. That's, that's, that's one, I think, very big effect. One of the reasons why I wrote the book, frankly. Mm -hmm. One of the other aspects, it, it, it's sort of a subset of that, is, is the ethical nature of the process of coding and what it produces. And, and you look at a number of examples of coders that, have begun to take that into account. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly right. I mean, it, it, because code has this catalytic effect on how we do things, um, it changes patterns of behavior. If you make it, if you write an app or create a software process that makes it newly easy to do something, then people will do a lot more of it, right? You know, and if and if and if that 
piece of code, if that piece of software becomes popular, that will change the behavior and the activities of millions, potentially billions of people. And so I think for, for a long time, uh, coders, you know, didn't as a, as an industry, as, as a, as a, as a guild, they didn't think a lot always about the ethical and moral effects of what they were doing. Maybe also because software until 15 years ago, wasn't really something that was having an effect on, on everyday life in an obvious way. You know, you were writing a backend system that processed payroll at a company uh, that felt a little remote from everyday life. Now that you have a generation of coders who've grown up looking at things like social media and looking at things like, you know, the effect that Uber has on the way people get around cities and the way drivers can or cannot make a living driving. You know, they're coming to this discipline sort of aware that their powers, what they can do is going to have a big effect on society. It's going to have a moral and ethical effect. And so we're beginning to see, I would argue, uh, a generation of developers that are, um, you know, uneasy or willing to act on their moral and ethical urges. Um, I think it's why we saw just in the last year, these very big, you know, multi-thousand person petitions and walkouts, staff walkouts of coders and technical staff at companies like Google and Microsoft when they decided they didn't like uh, morally and ethically the direction the company was going in. That's new. That did not exist 20 years ago amongst coders. They didn't do that. Now they do. And I think, I think it's because they've, 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 they're coming to terms with how important code is to everyday life. How much of it also is what I'll call, for lack of anything else, the, the 2001 effect, the idea that we get closer to coders being able to create algorithms and AI that, in fact, can do its own coding? Yeah, I think, um, I think AI is, is a very, very um, uh, big and important shift uh, in coding because, you know, what we've really got now with this quote-unquote neural net software is a different style of creating an application. In the old days, and really this is the way a lot of software is still made, you have to write down every instruction. You have to think of every, every if, then, you know, if, then, while this is happening, do this. Um, it's like making a clockwork mechanism. AI is different. Uh, modern neural net AI is training something, is taking the neural net code and saying, okay, I'm going to show you a, a thousand, ten thousand, a million pictures of a cat. And whenever you get it right and you say, yeah, that's a cat, I'm going to strengthen what just happened. And whenever you get it wrong, I'm going to weaken it. And eventually I'm going to have something that has sort of learned on its own how to do this, right? This is a very, very big and different shift in the way code's made. Um, and it leads to the possibility, exactly like you said, that you could start having AI that can create its own superior AI that can create its own form of code, right? Um, we're still a little far off from that. That is not imminent, I would say. I actually wondered about that. I asked the leading AI people. Um, they do think it's going to happen. They don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Um, but it is going to be an interesting inflection point uh, when it comes along because we're going to be faced with a world where the very thing that the coders are creating might be putting themselves out of a job, right? And that's got to be a very ironic and weird moment for them. 
Have you seen a change, or those that have been doing this and working in this arena, a change in, in the personality, the type of people, the psychology of those that become coders? Definitely in the last five to ten years, I would say, uh, the field has broadened and diversified quite a bit. And that is partly because, like I said earlier, um, you've got a world where code is no longer something that seems um, unimportant or that seems remote. Uh, you know, the young people today grew up using software all day long, thinking software was cool, realizing that if they want to change the world or, or change people's behavior, uh, it's not a bad idea to learn how to program. Um, and then that, I think, has had an effect of starting to awaken interest in a lot of people who might have avoided it in previous years or who would have frankly been driven out of the industry in previous years. Um, it, it, you know, the industry became very unwelcoming in the 70s and 80s to women, people of color. And so they very much stayed away. Even if they were interested, they, were, they got the message, this is not for them. Um, they are now really much more knocking on the door. They're, they're, uh, the number of women who are going to computer science or going to these quote unquote boot camps where you can learn later in life to code is going up and up and up. Um, and that is very interesting because you're starting to see, uh, you know, less of the kind of stereotypical shoegazer who isn't, you know, very good at, at thinking about people, at thinking about their users. You're getting far more people that have maybe an artistic background or are coming at coding from being their, their second career. For They were a speechwriter for years. They were you know, a pharmacist for years. Um, this is really interesting because this is a much more diverse group of people that are gaining these skills in telling computers what to do. And I think it presages a world if, if we can keep this, if we can keep this sort of diversification going 10 years from now, where we actually have, a, I think, a much richer ecosystem of how software is made because it's, it's a much more diverse group of people doing it. They will think to tackle problems that are not being tackled right now because it wouldn't occur to the coders, right? You know, the more people that you get in, in coding from different parts of, of, uh, of walks of life, the more you're going to have people going, wait a minute, this is a problem that my demographic, that my discipline, that my industry is struggling with. And now I know how to help solve that problem. So I, I, I think it's going to be a very, it's a very good uh, shift in the, in the population of coding. Does it set up a bifurcation in the future of coding between the diversity that is coming to it now that you're talking about and sort of the traditional hacking culture of coding? Uh, in one sense, a little bit, yes, because... Um, you know, the classic hacker culture was someone who just sort of stumbled into it because it was fun, right? You know, they, they learned a little bit of coding and they just got kind of obsessed with the joy of telling a machine what to do, of having this control and power over this expensive device. And then maybe they like, you know, taking, taking things in existing code and peeking inside, seeing how it worked. Um, that spirit is, I think, alive across all types of coding. Um, but it's, it's really, I think, where, you know, it's where the spirit that I most sort of admire um, comes from, because those people are really creative. They're really inventive. Uh, they're mischievous. Uh, I like that side. It's often where the weirdos and the artists are. There's also a type of, 
a type of coding that has become a lot more functional, um, maybe a little cynical. Um, people who are in it just because they want to make a buck, right? You know, like there's, you know, Wall Street used to be where all the sort of brash, cocky young men <laughs> who came out of Harvard went because they wanted to become millionaires by the time they were 25. After the financial collapse of 2008, that wasn't an easy road anymore. And so they all said, okay, I know the place where I can get millions, and that is Silicon Valley. And so they started flooding into computer science programs at Stanford, cheerfully admitting to the professors that they weren't really at all interested in the crafts and creativity of computer programming at all. They were just here to get just enough skills to make a startup, to get tons of money and cash out. So there is definitely a culture clash between the ones who have come to it just to sort of get rich uh, in the last 10 years, last 15 years, as they've seen this is where millionaires come from. A clash between them and the hackers who take joy and pride in what they're doing and love solving difficult problems or doing interesting things. And that, and, and that split, it's not necessarily demographic, right? You know, like that, that hackery nature comes from the shoegazers. It comes from, you know, you, you know, like young artists or musicians who got into code because they were making websites and they were, had the real hacker spirit. Um, but that, that divide is definitely there. Absolutely. And finally, to what extent is Silicon Valley and the leaders of the Valley adjusting to the changes we've been talking about in the world of coding? Well, in one sense, they talk a good game about trying to diversify their workforce, about trying to um, encourage a, a more perspectives, you know, to get inside to help solve their problems. Um, but in terms of hiring, they haven't really changed very much. It's still mostly taking, you know, young white guys that are pouring out of computer science programs. So, you know, those might be perfectly praiseworthy individuals. You know, they're great at doing what they're doing. But uh, Silicon Valley is, is not, is not rem dramatically or quickly changing and taking in some of these new people who are banging on the door. Um, those people are most getting, mostly getting their opportunities at companies, I would say, in the rest of the country. Um, keep in mind that only 8% of all coders in the United States work in Silicon Valley. The other 92% are in Des Moines uh, and in Chicago and in Alabama. Um, but, you know, I think, it's, I think it's wise that you sort of look at Silicon Valley the way you have because they have a lot of power. They make the big tech apps that govern everyday life. So they are not adapting as quickly as I would like them to. They're, they're now big companies. They move slowly. Um, their cultures are slow to change. Um, I would like to see more change. I think a lot of people would like to see more change in them. It remains to be seen how much they can adapt in the years to come. Clive Thompson, the book is Coders, the Making of a New Tribe and the Remaking of the World. Clive, I thank you so much for spending time with us. I had a wonderful time. Thank you.